Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the murder of Travis Hallen in the Hickoria Apache Nation in Dulce, New Mexico. Hickoria Apache Nation is nestled in northern Mexico near the Colorado border. It's known for its hunting, fishing, boating, and hiking trails. According to NewMexico.org, there are seven pristine mountain lakes, ranging from 30 to 400 acres, with thousands of ducks and different varieties of water birds. The tribe maintains Horse Lake Mesa Game Park the largest single elk enclosure in the country, boasting over 14,500 acres. The majority of the nation remains untouched by human development, with black bears and mountain lions roaming freely. Needless to say, it's a beautiful place with breathtaking views. Most of the tribe's nearly 3,000 members live in the town of Dulce. What Hickoria Apache police discovered on February 14, 2018, in a home on Navajo Street in Dulce, would shock everyone. According to court documents obtained by NewMexicoHomicide.com, on February 14, 2018, Brian Cachua went to check on his neighbor's house. He knew his neighbor, 25-year-old Alistair Quintana, was in jail on domestic violence charges and had been since February 8th. It was February in New Mexico and the temperatures had dipped down into the low 20s. He was concerned about the pipes freezing when he noticed a back bedroom window was either open or broken, and he planned on sealing up the window for his neighbor. And he was in luck because the house just so happened to be unlocked. So he made his way inside to see what he could do to seal off that broken window. Once inside, he noticed an overwhelming odor. He put his plans of sealing that open window on hold and began searching the house to figure out where the smell was coming from. It didn't take too long before he traced the odor to a hallway closet. The doors were closed, so he slowly opened them. And there, in that hallway closet, he found the body of a deceased male, naked and bound. The neighbor immediately contacted the Hickoria Department of Corrections, who then made contact with the Dulce police. Everyone knew Quintana was in custody on that unrelated domestic charge, so it wasn't him in the house. But who was the deceased male in the closet, and what had happened? Police arrived and began their investigation, and it didn't take long before they would have a tentative answer to that first question. About a week prior to the grisly discovery, Alistair Quintana's cousin, 28-year-old Travis Howland, had been reported missing, and he was last known to have been dropped off at that very residence. And there was also that scar. A scar on the decedent's abdomen was strikingly similar to the one Travis reportedly had. As police walked through the house, it was clear that a struggle had taken place. 
there was a blood smear on the wooden railing of the front porch. As they walked through the front door and into the living room, they noted a floor lamp on the right side that had what appeared to be dried blood on both the lampshade and the wall directly behind it. Halfway down the hallway, there was the closet where the neighbor had found the deceased male. The closet was wide but shallow. The man's body was lying prone with his head turned to his left. There was dried blood behind his head on the wall at the back of the closet. He was naked, his hands bound with a brown electrical extension cord. His feet were also tied at the ankle with a fabric-covered wire cord. There were several injuries evident, but it was impossible to distinguish the exact cause due to the level of decomposition. The closet was neatly lined with gift wrapping paper, and it was clear someone had taken the time to lay this paper out prior to placing the body in the closet. The wrapping paper lined the entire closet floor and had been smoothed out and neatly placed. At the end of the hallway, there was a bare room with a bare concrete floor. There were numerous smears and footprints of what appeared to be blood on the floor. Blood splatter was noted on the walls all the way up to the ceiling and all over the room. Inside that room, there was what police described as a low bench, a towel lying on the floor with blood, two wooden implements that were likely the handle of a hoe, shovel, or broom that had been broken with jagged points on one end and wrapped with dark colored foam and duct tape on the other. An orange plastic case and two cardboard rolls consistent with empty wrapping paper rolls were also found, one with a blood smear. There were two bathrooms in the house. The first one had what appeared to be a feces stain on the floor, the other with what appeared to be blood stains on the baseboards. The second bathroom also contained a pair of jeans and a purple silky shirt. A towel that was so stained with blood, police thought it was light brown in color. But upon further examination, they discovered that it was a light-colored towel, which was stiff and completely soaked in what appeared to be blood. Officers on the scene noted that the heat was turned all the way up, possibly in an attempt to speed up the decomposition process. What the hell had happened at 66 Navajo Street and why? Since this took place on tribal lands, the FBI was called in to assist in the investigation. According to the FBI.gov, there are about 574 federally recognized American Indian tribes in the United States, and the FBI has federal law enforcement responsibility on nearly 200 Indian reservations. This federal jurisdiction is shared concurrently with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, Office of Justice Services. The FBI and the Dulce Police Department got right to work. The body was positively identified through fingerprints as that of 28-year-old Travis Howland. Travis's family was notified and his sisters were absolutely devastated by the news. In a tragic turn of events, one of his sisters worked as a first responder. She had actually shown up on the scene and had inadvertently seen her brother's body. But due to the level of decomposition and the brutality of the attack, she didn't immediately recognize her own brother. Whoever was responsible had not only taken Travis away from everyone who knew and loved him, but they had desecrated his body in such a way he was unrecognizable to his own family. What kind of monster could do this? And why? 
Travis Howland's body was sent to the medical examiner to help determine exactly what had happened. What the autopsy report showed would come as yet another blow to his family, friends, and the entire Hickoria Apache Nation. Travis Howland had not only been murdered, he had been beaten, tortured, and humiliated at the hands of his killers. According to the autopsy report obtained by NewMexicoHomicide.com, the ligatures placed around his wrist were so tight they caused soft tissue bleeding into his wrist. There was a necklace around Travis's neck with keys on one end. Both sharp and blunt force injuries were noted on his head, torso, arms, and legs. Small round wounds caused by both sharp and blunt force were found on the right side of his head, delivered with enough force to cause patterned superficial outer cortex skull fractures. There were lacerations to his scalp. His sixth rib was fractured due to a large gaping incise wound to his back. A puncture wound was noted on his right buttock. His body had a multitude of scrapes and bruises, and his left foot had a rather large laceration. The medical examiner concluded that none of these injuries on their own were enough to cause Travis's death, writing in the report, Multiple possibilities as a mechanism of death remain possible. Although the necklace around his neck was not tightly bound, nor were there significant internal neck injuries, Mr. Howland was found prone with bound extremities, and an asphyxial component to death cannot be ruled out. Furthermore, it remains possible that Mr. Howland was alive at the time he was left in the closet. Dehydration and or starvation remained potential mechanisms of death. Eye fluid and blood could not be collected for laboratory testing due to decomposition. On February 15, 2018, the medical examiner ruled Travis Hallen's death as homicide by unspecified means since an exact cause of death couldn't be determined. While the medical examiner had been processing Travis's body, investigators wasted no time and had already begun speaking to those who knew Travis and Quintana and a picture of what had happened was starting to emerge. According to a search warrant application obtained by NewMexicoHomicide.com, on February 14th, the same day Travis's body was found, they had spoken to someone associated with Quintana. We'll call him B. B had informed investigators that Quintana wouldn't allow him in his residence at 66 Navajo Street on February 3rd through about the 5th which was odd since the two were friends. He had a conversation with Quintana on the 13th in which he said Quintana told him that he had done something wrong and needed to clean up his house, further stating that once he was bonded out of jail, he was going to clean up the mess at his house and leave the reservation. On February 23rd, investigators spoke to Travis's former girlfriend and mother of his child. We'll call her Anne. She reported that Quintana had given Travis his bank card in late January so that Travis could go and withdraw money from Quintana's bank account and bail him out of jail. But for whatever reason, Travis didn't. She further stated that on February 2, 2018, she and Travis spent the morning in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. She had then driven back to Dulce and dropped Travis off with a friend. She then met up with Quintana, Andrew Betelyun, and another individual we'll call C, and they all drove back to Pagosa Springs so Quintana could withdraw money from his account and bail out another friend. 
When they were unable to postpone for their friend, Anne and C had stayed in Pagosa Springs. Keen Santa, Andrew Betelyun, B, which they met up with at some point, B's girlfriend, and Travis all made their way back down to Dulce again. Anne had video chatted with Travis at around 11 o'clock p.m. At around 11.26, Travis had attempted to video chat with her again, but they were unable. She had tried to call Travis back to video chat multiple times that night and in the next coming days, but she never spoke to him again. Anne provided investigators with screenshots from Instagram posts made under the account Dancing Cowley and a female we'll call V. Both accounts were later verified by police as belonging to Quintana and V. The comments were posted at 12.02 a.m. on February 3, 2018. Quintana, everything happens. V, what do you mean by that? Quintana, like people drinking and arguing and dumb shit. V, are you drunk? Quintana, I wish I'm kicking some ass. V, why? Quintana, cause thought I had family, but now I know I'm by myself and lost and mad at the world and trying to change, just been through a lot. V, just calm down, please. Sigh, you're not fully alone. Have fun and be safe. I can't talk at the moment now. Quintana, but why? And same here, about to kill someone. V, why? And I hate myself. Quintana, have to do some Batman shit. V, to who? Quintana, don't worry about it. Be shit all over the house. N-word, scared. On February 27, 2018, investigators spoke to V. She was shown the Instagram screenshots and she verified that she was who Quintana was talking to. She also stated that she was certain she was talking to Quintana because he didn't allow anyone else to access his account. She believed he was drunk based on the verbiage of the conversation and their conversations on previous occasions. She also told investigators that she knew Quintana could be violent because just a short time ago he had attacked her, wrapping his hands around her throat and choking her. Federal search warrants were obtained for Quintana's social media accounts and phone records. Text messages were obtained between Quintana and a contact saved in his phone as Mario at 10.17 a.m. on February 3, 2018. Mario texted, Are you coming to Santa Fe? Good. Quintana responded, Um, doing some Batman shit. I'll go next week if you don't mind. I just want to know what the hell this guy's obsession with Batman is all about. Another conversation was taken from Instagram between Quintana and a friend we'll call D. The conversation began at 10.31 a.m. on February 3rd, 2018. Quintana, bro. D, what's up, man? Quintana, I was about to kill someone last night. D, what the fuck? Who, my N-word? Quintana, my brother. Ha ha. D, which one? Quintana, Travis, shit was crazy. On February 27, 2018, investigators spoke with a female associate of Quintana's. We'll call her H. I know I'm driving y'all crazy with all the letter names, but witnesses were identified in the court documents by initials only, so that's how we're going to keep it. 
H informed investigators that there was bad blood in the past between Quintana and Travis due to a sexual relationship between Travis and Quintana's biological mother. H also revealed that she knew Quintana could be violent, especially when intoxicated or on drugs. It was discovered that Quintana had not only been talking about Batman shit or killing his quote brother on social media, he had ran his mouth while in jail too. Two men who were incarcerated with Quintana at the Hickoria Detention Center spoke with an FBI special agent. One who we'll call Jay said that on February 12, 2018, Quintana had approached him and struck up a conversation. And he didn't want to talk about what was on the lunch menu or what he had gotten from the commissary, but instead had told this former inmate that he and Andrew Bedelune had tortured and killed someone and left him bound and in a closet. Quintana also stated that he had left the heat on high in the house to decompose the body quicker. Jay recalled that Quintana seemed nervous while talking to him. Nervous? I mean, maybe don't torture and kill people and leave them to decompose in the hallway closet of your home and you wouldn't be so nervous. The other informant, we'll call him M, reported that he had not one, not two, but three conversations with Quintana the second week of February. Quintana had approached him and told M he was planning on moving to Santa Fe to go to school once he was released, and he needed someone to watch his house. He asked M during that first conversation if he could help him clean up his house. During a subsequent conversation, Quintana told him that he was in, quote, deep shit that only certain people knew about. And he must have thought M was a janitor or something, because during their final conversation, Quintana again asked M to help him clean up his house when they were released stating that he needed to get something out of his house before it started to stink, and if he did not get it out before it began to stink, it would result in a manslaughter charge. On May 24, 2018, Alistair Danzig Quintana was arrested in Dulce, New Mexico, for murder in Indian County. Again, according to court documents obtained by NewMexicoHomicide.com, on June 28, 2018, a search was conducted at Quintana's residence with his consent, and investigators seized a knife and hammer, both with dried blood on them. Remember Andrew Bedelune and what that jailhouse informant had reported to investigators that Quintana had said. He had said that he and Bedelune had tortured and killed someone and left them in a closet. Investigators had spoken to Andrew Bedelune on multiple occasions, and he had denied any involvement whatsoever in the brutal murder of Travis Howland. But according to court documents, on July 12, 2018, Andrew Bedelune sat down with investigators once again. Only this time, he told them exactly what had happened in the late night hours of February 2nd and the early morning hours of February 3rd and what he would reveal was far more disturbing than anyone had imagined. But those details will have to wait until next week, because we're running out of time. As always, I'll leave you with a little something. On July 2nd, 2018, the FBI had done another search of Quintana's residence at 66 Navajo Street and seized 
Well, a lot of things, but most notably a machete and a sword with what appeared to be dried blood on both. Another sword with a sheath, two clumps of black hair, a wooden stick, and a black metal flashlight. Travis Hallen was a father and proud Hickoria Apache. He was a guitar player, a talented graffiti artist, and he loved metal music. Three of his sisters, Heaven, Harley, and Lauren, spoke to Amanda Martinez of the Rio Grande Sun. Heaven said, I just miss hanging out with him, just daily life. Daily life was fun with him. He made everything more interesting. He was a character. There is never going to be another one like him, ever. There's not. Travis Hallen was only 28 years old when his life was tragically cut short at the hands of someone he once referred to as a brother. You can find more about Travis's case on my Facebook, at least of these, or my Instagram, at least underscore of these. Huge shout out to former cops slash court reporter for the Rio Grande Sun, Wheeler Cowperthwaite, for his research on this case. Wheeler had already obtained all the court documents and graciously gifted them to me. Wheeler is a former New Mexico resident currently working for a daily newspaper in Massachusetts. He still covers little-known cases throughout New Mexico on his website, nmhomicide.com. His coverage of these cases is detailed, and his case write-ups are impeccable. I asked him to tell me a little bit about his website and how it all began. Wheeler wrote, NM Homicide is a website that reports on homicides in the state of New Mexico through primary documentation, including court documents. The website aims to give basic attributed narratives for homicide cases with inspiration from the defunct Homicide Watch in Washington, D.C. Often homicide cases are written about once and then forgotten. Lots are never written about at all, especially in rural New Mexico. Often local newspapers and TV stations will cover an initial arrest, but never cover the case again even if a defendant pleads or the charges are dismissed. Many federal cases never get covered at all, offering little justice to the dead and to the accused. That was one of the reasons I decided to embark on this project. The project was originally supposed to be a podcast, drawing on the easy access to primary source audio through New Mexico's records law, but turned into a news website covering uncovered and undercovered homicides. The project also aims to track jail deaths in New Mexico to write about them and to collect and disseminate as much primary source material as possible about each death. No one tracks all jail, in custody, in custody adjacent, and prison deaths. Reuters conducted an investigation into jail deaths across the country, but only looked at the biggest jails in the country and individual states. And Wheeler is absolutely right. There was little to almost no coverage of the murder of Travis Halland, which is why I reached out to him. Y'all should check out his work. I'll link his website and information in the show notes and on my Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to click that subscribe button. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you don't want to miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time... Be good to each other.